So, before we do the intro to the show, this show is brought to you by a few things. First, KRT, Karate Tips and Tricks, with Sensei Darren Stringer and Wesley Jensen out of Europe. If you're a Kyokushin Karate practitioner, love striking martial arts, whether boxing, Taekwondo, Muay Thai, kickboxing, KRT Tips and Tricks brings everybody together. The other sponsor I like to say, well, not sponsor, but give a shout out to this, is if you're an up-and-coming fighter, you want to have good management represent you, Moments Management is the company. Nima Safapur and his team represent what quality and care is, teaching fighters how to manage their money with the fighting window they have and put it into proper investments and educate them on what pro fighting is. Moments Management on Instagram. And without further ado, this is the Drew Spirience, the show that's 80% combat sports and 20% everything else. I'm joined by such a big guest today. This guy is, wow, he's on a level of elite. He has been in the game for over 40 years, seeing history with Ali, being man- also managing Joe Fraser, being his friend. He became one of the biggest names. You know what? I'm going to just get, let, I'm just going to say it. I got Burt Watson on the show. What's up, Burt? Let's do this. Time to go to work, baby. We rolling! Yeah! Let's do this, man. What's up? How are you feeling today? Oh, baby. Boom. I'm good, baby. I am good now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so obviously, you know, it's a huge name. I also want to first thank uh, Nima for helping recommend you if you listened to our last interview. He's like, you have to get Bird on. Spoke so well about you. So, you know, any anytime Nima recommends someone, I'm going to take his word for it because the man knows combat sports like you. Well, but you. Well, this is a good thing. It's a good thing to be recognized. And it's an even better thing to have people talk about you and say good things about you. You know, it's always good to hear that, baby. Always. And I am always pumped and ready to roll. Oh, always. my God. Always. Yeah, you know, you just did an amazing interview with uh, Rampage Jackson. I also watched a bit of your one with Chael. The Rampage one was great. We're going to get into that. But the first question is, I want to know, let's have people know, Bert, how were you introduced to combat sports? You know, the the majority of my life, the majority of my life, Andrew, Drew, (laughs) (laughs) the, the majority of my life have been chance meetings, you know, and what ifs and you know, I had a chance meeting with Smoking Joe Frazier and, and met him. And one thing led to another and it developed into a friendship and eventually becoming his manager. And I had a chance meeting with the guy that was doing shows uh, with Mike Tyson and other guys in Vegas. And I did shows for him and he did Oscar De La Hoya and chance meeting to get to do Costa Zoo and Zab Judah. Did a chance meeting with this guy had a chance meeting in another meeting and during the meeting somebody said oh you know what i got this guy who's getting ready to start this organization and he needs somebody and you know what bert you're you're here i think you'd be the guy to talk to him so i said okay you know what set up set up some kind of a meeting i couldn't do it that day because i had a weigh-in so i said set up some kind of a meeting We'll meet and uh, we'll go from there. And that guy, again, a chance meeting, that guy he introduced me to was Dana White. Wow. And that was, 
That was my first introduction, which was in 1999. Mm -hmm. uh, I won't give you a month because I don't exactly remember, but it was, I, I, I would say probably September, October, and the following year, you know, uh, as the year progressed on into the year, uh, Dana White got in touch with me and said, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to be doing this show. And it uh, looks like I'm going to be kicking it off the first of the year. And it happened in February. Now, February 2000. And one, right? That's when Zupa bought. 2001, I did UFC 30. And that was my very first show. That's awesome. It's so interesting you say that because first, I, what I took from that is 1999. That is the end of the Bob Meyerowitz, uh, Art Davies era. They're trying to get out. They were dodging the government for so long with like these like unsanctioned shows in like First Native Land or states that were like that were like you know what, screw the government. But as Dana said, you can't keep running from the government. You know they're gonna catch up. <laughs> they they're just gonna come at. And then you know you meet Dana. So UFC. So UFC 30. Yes. Is obviously the first Zufa card. It's like what's called the new UFC. So that was Ortiz when he was defending his belt versus Evan, the late Evan Tanner. Rest in peace, Evan Tanner. My man, Evan Tanner. Uh, and I, I think uh, BJ Penn might have been on that show. Uh, uh, if I'm if I'm correct, he might have made his pro debut. Uh, and uh, I think Randleman was on that card, maybe. Uh, I don't remember exactly everybody was on the card, but it was it was quite the experience for me, really quite the experience because I had no idea what MMA or grappling was. Had no idea. I was experienced to wrestling, WWE and WCW, and and ex experience with you know as far as is martial arts. At my time, I knew it as karate, okay? And I knew Bruce Lee and Bruce Leroy. Now, I don't know if you know who Bruce Leroy was. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay? And I'm not talking about Alice Caceres, okay? <laughs> about a movie that was done back in the day uh, with Bruce Leroy, you know? Uh, and and, and that, was my, that was my awareness of, of, of what martial arts was. But knowing who Bruce Lee was, I had a you know, uh, a definite respect for it because he was awesome doing one and two hand push-ups and, you know, and knocking people down, you know, and things like that. It was awesome. So that was my introduction and that's what I knew. So I had to kind of put that into perspective, but then without any lessons, without any teachers, you know, I was just asked, to do what you do best. But I had already kind of established my myself and established what I did in boxing because I, I had worked starting in boxing with Joe Frazier. And Joe, at the time when I started working with him and eventually became his manager, he also had, I'd say maybe six or seven family members close family members, two sons, two nephews, one cousin, uh, and eventually a daughter, okay, all fighting, and, and, and everyone knew of Marvis Frazier and Joe Jr. and Tyrone Frazier, who fought Virgil Hill, 
but but the thing then was to create a situation for these guys to fight. And it wasn't a very hard thing to do because to create a situation off a brand or off a name was pretty easy when you had Smoking Joe Frazier. Okay, when you had that name or that brand, it was pretty easy to do. So we did it and we created, you know, talked to venues and did fights and talked to networks and got dates and, and basically got a lot of them because of the fact that he was who he was. But that was the start and the development of Burt Watson as a coordinator, putting things together and doing the shows and coordinating and putting the shows together. And I did that. And I did that on a regional level. And because it was Joe Frazier, we started expanding out a little bit. And I got to work with Lou Duva at main events. I don't know if you're familiar with who that is. He's the godfather. Uh, Don King, Cedric Kushner, Lou DiBella. Then I started going on working with the networks. I started doing shows on HBO and Showtime and USA Today. Uh, uh, they started doing Tuesday night fights. So you had fights Tuesday, Tuesday night, Friday night, and Saturday night. So I was developing and honing my craft. I was becoming a coordinator and I was learning. And it was all trial by error, baby. You know, there was no game plan. There was no book. There was no teacher. There was no guidance. It was Joe Frazier saying, hey, baby, we got to fight and we got to get it done. That's, that's awesome, man. Wow. Trial by error. Like you, it's like you say chance, and that's the thing. Sometimes opportunities happen. Like, you know, when I, when you ever you start something, you're going to have to, like, it takes time. But when that opportunity comes, just you just run with it, and then things lead to another. 100%. You know, I, I have, I have, I have, uh, a book of Bert-isms, okay, which which I, I kind of live my life by. And one of them is that you get a one in one. You get one chance and one chance to F it up, baby. You don't know exactly when that one chance is going to come, but that's all you're going to get is a one in one. So whichever it is, you need to treat it and act like you know you got it. Exactly. Oh, totally. You know, I also want to now to just take it back to another question here, because, you know, you said that um, you've worked with the guys such as the, the Bellas, the Don Kings and and also. So when you were coming up, obviously, you know, I want to ask you, you've obviously Marvin Hagler, probably. Yes. Uh, were you there? Were you there for the Herons and Hagler fight, the war, as it was called? I was. No, I was not there at that fight. Mm hmm. But I worked the fight the week before, and I have worked with Tommy Hearns, a fight, and Marvin Hagler, uh, a, a fight. But I was not there at that fight. During my career, I the only fighter that I can legitimately sit here and think and say that I didn't work with from 1981 to nineteen to two thousand and eight. Now that's a that's a long time, baby, and a lot of fighters. Okay, the only fighter I never really worked with was Lennox Lewis, but everybody else: Evander Holyfield, Mike Tyson, Oscar De La Hoya, Bernard Hopkins, Roy Jones, Roberto Duran, Sugar Ray Leonard, Tito Trinidad. Should I go on or should I stop, baby? Uh, too much. But I have something funny to tell you. My mom. So I'm going to show you this photo here on my phone. Now that you mentioned Sugar Ray Leonard, my mom met him at a charity event in Bermuda. Okay. And 
took a picture. I gotta show you this photo. It's 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 wow. a it's a gem. It's like I'm gonna go on my Instagram here. I, I actually show did two fights with 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 Ray, and the last fight I did with him was when he fought uh, Hector Camacho. He came when he came out of retirement. He fought Camacho in Atlantic City. I did that fight. That's I crazy. Beautiful that fight. Here it is. Can you can you, here can you see it? That's my that's my uh, mom Marlene. Yeah, that's her with sugar. And Ray. Yeah. Wow. Ray's and, uh, my man. He's my man. I worked with him and his son. Yeah, he did really good for himself. What's his son doing now? I think his son is doing his own thing, right? Yes. He uh, even back then his son was was kind of doing entrepreneurial. You know, he Ray Ray had other businesses outside of boxing, mm -hmm. and he had involved his his son in some of them, and and uh, he was working. You know, he was working then. You know, you say, I, I said to you about chance meetings. You know, I, I've also been very blessed in my career to have worked in boxing and MMA and worked with fathers and sons and fathers and daughters. And that's, you know, I mean, I worked with Joe Frazier and Joe Frazier's son and Joe Frazier's daughter. Worked with Muhammad Ali and Muhammad Ali's daughter. And I also did the fight between Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier's daughter, which was billed as, as Ali Frazier IV, worked mm -hmm. with Sugar Ray Leonard and his son. And I also had the, the, the pleasure of working with Randy Couture and then his son, when his son came to the UFC. So uh, I've always been very fortunate in those chance meeting and working with Fathers and sons and fathers and daughters and and family. Oh, I'm getting mushy here now. And family members. I probably, I, I also have the distinction of probably being the only person that worked with both Smith brothers and both Miller brothers in MMA. And the Miller brothers was Cole Miller and Michael, Michael Miller and then Dan Miller and uh, Jim Miller, you know, at the so I've I've had I've I've had some really blessed times and chance meetings and working with people, and now I'm just running my, I'm I'm just running my mouth, but you you push that button, baby. That's what I do, but that's why I want to make the I want people to understand how important you are for combat sports history because you it's like just to have someone like you on is such a big big honor for me. And as mentioned, you know it's a team effort. You know, as you said, when we first interacted, like I'm not I had my I had such a a holy shit moment. By the way, you can kind of cuss on the show. By the way, you're allowed. So don't worry, be you, be you, baby, as you say. So when I when when Bert, so like here's what happened. Nima was like, yeah, it's like you got to get Bert on. So here's what here's here's like so i looked up Bert watson so then when you added me back i was like i was like showing my friends i was like holy shit i'm like Bert watson just follow me back i'm like what is going on here and then my friends were like oh this is big man that means like you know like he sees something you know maybe he saw an interview and he's like but yeah but no i was like it was it was really it's it was a big deal like i was so like humbled that day when you followed me back well i i i truly i truly appreciate it but i i also have learned in life that nothing anyone says or does should be irrelevant to you. Mm -hmm. Nothing they say should be irrelevant. Because if somebody says something to you, that means they want you to hear it. Not just to listen, but they want you to hear it. Because when you hear things, you digest it. 
when someone approaches you with something, they obviously want you to see it. Not just to know that it's there, but to see it. And, you know, I, I've always needed people to see what I was doing and to hear what I had to say because I had to get things done. And if people didn't hear and digest it, especially the fighters, then I was in trouble, <laughs> okay? Yeah. And if people didn't see or know that I was there, you know, it was it, it, it was trouble. But it's always been an honor, man, and, and, and I can now sit back and, and, and look at my career and look at some of the things, you know, to, to have seen the development of MMA and the sports and the athletes and, and I, I think mostly the development of women in the sport. Man, I am, I am, I am so proud to have been a part of that. And to see that development and to see how ass-kicking they have become. You said I could say that. Of course. You could curse, man. You, you, you're a legend. And uh, But I want to ask you this. Let's take it back because you, you still – this is like where you were just saying you've been around. You've, you've, you've been privileged to see what you had. Yes. The early days of Zufa were not easy. And before Tuff came out, Ultimate Fighter, what were those days like? Because I was talking to Nima about this, and I said there's two very important his fights in that era – UFC 33, even though it's the infamous 9-11 show. Um, and there was also UFC 40. Describe to me what it was like in those days where Chuck and Tito were the faces of the, fr- of the promo. Because people have to know ber- their history. They're, they, they're quick to forget. How important were those dark days? You know, it was, it was something special because the toughest thing was getting the acceptance of the sports into the general public, getting accepted by the various athletic commission commissions, and 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 we started in Atlantic City. So New Jersey was about well, New Jersey was the first commission that accepted. But at the time, honestly, New Jersey was the only one. We were we were not sanctioned to go a lot of other places. So it was it was it was really tough doing that. And the toughest thing was that they had high-profile athletes that were, 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 were very high-profile athletes in the sport. You know, you had Tito, and you, you had Chuck, and you had Randy, and you had Matt Hughes, you know, and early back in the day, and BJ Penn. And you had all of these guys and all of these fights they were trying to schedule, and they had the toughest time getting sanctioned into the various states because quite frankly, you know, we were, we were being bashed. People were bashing the sport and, you know, political figures had crazy names for it, called it cockfighting and that it was inhumane. You know, it was crazy and, and it was tough. It was tough. So we had a very small window that we could work in, but at the same time, we had a very a sport that was, I mean, it had legs like you couldn't, you know, not just little cockroach legs like centipedes, okay? But none of those tentacles could grow. But then as we started to develop a little more, then we moved on and we started to get sanctioned in other states. It went on from, there, there were four major cities that needed to sanction 
MMA and to sanction the UFC, and it would then probably open the doors to others. And that was New York, that was Chicago, Las Vegas, and Pennsylvania. Those, New Jersey, and New Jersey, those were the states that if those states accepted and sanctioned, then we probably had a, a light wasn't green because it turned green and turned yellow again in some states real quick. You know, but it was it was a it was a bit trying because we still, regardless of what they thought or what the acceptance level was, we still had to put on a show. And I can tell you, man, from the very first show on, those guys fought. Those guys fought and fought their asses off. Trust me. Very true. I remember, too, when uh, UFC 40 happened, Tito versus Shamrock, the first Sam- one. That was such an important fight. Uh, yes, 205, the first New York card was important, too. But that 40 fight was so important because maybe you remember, but uh, I remember when Bruce Buffer said, man, he's like, we were on, like, the brink. And that was the card that, like, said, like, if they didn't buy, get over 100,000 buys, it's it's over. And then when it happened, when he was on, when he saw the numbers that they were coming in, okay, a hundred thousand buys at the time, 2002, it's probably now like four, 500,000 buys with inflation. I'm not an expert. So, but it was like, and Bert, and I'll never forget it. It still gives me chills when I read that quote, we made it. And he's like, we fucking made it. I went over to big John and I whispered to his ear before we made it. And then there was a bit of a stagnation. The first interim title, you remember that 2003 where Tito's holding out and Chuck was supposed to get him. So, what was that like, too? That like that's because that's another important event. Like, wh- I want what what do you remember about that 2003 event where Chuck and Tito are supposed to happen, and Dana White comes out and says we're making the first interim title because Tito is is holding out. Well, uh, I you know I I don't know the specifics mm-hmm. of it, but at the time I didn't understand it because I knew that Dana had a relationship with both Tito and Chuck prior to the uh, the formation of, of Zufa and the UFC. I think he he promoted or co-managed or something, but he had a relationship with them. So I always thought that since he had that outside relationship, the relationships were going to be good. But when it came time to negotiate for that fight, uh, I don't know ex- the exact numbers or what it was, but Money wasn't right. And and when when you started, you know, negotiating and hassling for money, you know, and, and they don't make that right, then other things come up. Then it, then the location came up that, that the location wasn't right, you know, and they wanted to move another fight and have another part of have it in California. And, you know, it, it just it, it, it kind of opened the door for a lot of things to start coming coming in, into play. That's understandable. And then you have, uh, but where do you think, um, in terms of like what Chuck's contributions are to mixed martial arts, do you feel like the reason because the sport grew was exploded was because of him and Randy, also Randy Couture because of tough? Like where do those two rank for you in terms of blowing up the sport? I think if it were not for the fact that Randy Couture, Chuck Liddell, and I'll, I'll, I'll throw Tito in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, those three guys at the time were the head, the middle, and the tail. And I'm not going to say which one was which, because one of them will get mad, 
but they ran, they were, they were, they were the goal that ran the engine. And, and, you know, the consistency that they gave to Zufa and the UFC, you know, the fact that, that, that even though there were, there were differences and, and, and different ideas and thought patterns with, with, with wages and, and, and at times some guys were trying to organize to put together uh, fighters unions and things like that. Uh, Randy, Chuck, and Tito still perform, man, at, at, at a high level. And, uh, you know, if, if it were not for the fact that those guys stayed along for the program and the fact that they were as big a stars as they were, you know, there might have there might have been some problems. But the fact that they committed themselves and then it, it started to get a started to get a little tough because uh I think the first one I saw that really started having a little riffraff with Dana was Tito. You know, it, it that 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 one turned into a real cat fight. You know, with with, with Tito in the T shirt. I know I know you probably remember the T-shirt he wore. <laughs> he wore Dana's my Dana is my bitch. Yeah, to the, the Machida fight. At the weigh-in, that was probably the biggest shock that I I think I I think I had because I had just we were in the back and I I check everything and most guys, you know, when I say I check everything. You check to see number one that the scales were right, number two that the, the stage was right, that there was a towel there, that the guys were lined up, they were lined up right, and that every, that that everybody had shorts on. Because sometimes some guys forgot they didn't have shorts on and would get ready to go up and to drop their pants and had nothing on. You know that was very possible. So I checked all of those things, and I I actually Tito came in late. Because I, I, he he knew that I was going to check things and that I was checking things, but he knew what he had to do, what he was going to do. So he came in and he had on a t-shirt, a, a, a hoodie. He had on a hoodie. He had a towel around his neck, and he had some kind of something on his arms. And in my head, I said, "Now I know he was going to make weight." And I know he didn't have a problem making weight. And usually when a guy comes to a weigh-in all wrapped up and things like that, and you 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 know, and I know because I follow their weight trail. I follow them from the time when they got in, the first thing I did was put them on the scale. So I knew how much he weighed, and I would follow during the course of the week, the week, how what they were doing to cut weight. So for him to come totally bundled up like that was not strange, but it was strange because I knew he was on weight. Tito never had a problem with weight. No, he was one of the best weight cutters. Yes, never had a problem. So he gets up on the stage, and I'm still thinking, why has he got on all this junk? But by the time it was time to go on stage, that was out of my head. My thing was positioning the guys, bringing the guys up, making sure that everybody was on their spot, on their, their mark. And he got it. He came up. And we were standing side by side. And he stepped ahead of me a little bit. And I just backed up and stepped away because he had to take off his clothes. And he took off his clothes, took off his bottom. And when he took that top off, the crowd went nuts. And I'm looking and wondering, 
Why are they reacting the way they react? Ah, 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 whoa! And I walked over and I turned around and I looked at his T-shirt. Well, if I could have ever melted in my life, <laughs> that was one time. And I saw Dana and I, I, I looked up and our eyes caught each other. And Dana walked over and just, he didn't walk over and, you know, and stand in front of him, but he walked over far enough to see it. Tito got on the scale with his shirt. <laughs> I said, oh, oh. But you know what? That was the first and the last time somebody got me on stage. <laughs> you know, that I didn't check everybody. I, I, from that point on, it was a check to everybody. Oh, but, that's amazing. You know, they were good. They were good. The, 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 those guys were good. It was good times. They were struggling a little bit with the attendance and getting people in and, you know, the different events. And I remember one event, uh, you probably know better than I do. I just got so many of them in my head. Uh, I think it was 51 or 52. We did an event, and right after the first round, the damn house went dark. The event cut off, and I think Randy, Randy Couture was fighting. I think that was UFC 33, actually, the 9-11 show. Yeah, because I remember that. That's the one, right? But that was when I was like, holy. But I didn't know what it was. I just know that I saw Dana and Lorenzo walking to the back and their faces were beat red. So I knew something was wrong. And that's what it was. Whatever it was in the transmission, the transmission came up and the show went dark. Oh, my and, God. And it was, you know, that's, oh, man. You know, there was a, there was a, another event that we did, uh, and I had Stefan Struve, I think it was, but it was one of the heavyweights. I got into, got him in the in the cage, and and and, and Buffer standing there, and get ready to walk out to talk, and the house goes black. We had a blackout. Oh my god! <laughs> the blackouts, and here it was the fighters were in the cage. He was there with his mic, and the house was dark, you know, and and nobody panicked, you know, and I, I could hear Dana, and I could, I mean, it was it was that dark, you know, uh, because there were some walkouts where a house the house got dark, you know, for this for this big burst out or the walkout music or whatever. So when it got dark in there, it got dark. Well, it got dark, and it didn't come back on. And I was holy S-H-I-T. So we had to take the fighters one at a time back because I didn't, I, it, was, it was that dark. I didn't know, where, didn't know where we were going or how to get back there. So we took them, you know, got them back in and finally got them back in the dressing room. And I think it was, the lights were off for maybe about 35 minutes at least, you know, but they did come back on and it's, you know, so, you know, we, 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 we had our, we had our times and, you know, at times things was like, you know, they get, to get a little bit up the hill and then they crumble back down, get a little up the hill and then they crumble back down. And then they came up with putting that fight together between Stefan Bonner and Forrest Griffin. 
Wow, that's crazy. That tough. That that was like the lightning in a bottle. That really. Cause, and I yep. think there's there's something that's really important about this. You could agree with me. 2005, there's no NHL hockey. It was a lockout, and I have a feeling that just the lockout that happened. Because I'm a big, I was a big hockey fan. Think of it. Having no hockey, people want to watch fights. They don't know. Spike TV gets the show. There's the fight. I have a th- thing. I have a theory that that was so. It was perfect timing. Perfect, per- absolutely perfect timing. I mean, not only. Not only the fact that the hockey was there was no hockey, but the fact that there was that was and I think that did it for Spike TV as well, you know, and 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 they got Spike TV and they got that fight and that fight just blew the roof off of it. And when the roof came off on that fight, that roof never came back on. They built something over top of it with that roof. Mm-hmm. Gone, baby. Okay, you know they broke through that roof, and that was the end of that roof. They built a steeple, and from that point on, it was all systems go, man. It uh, you know we started moving, and the, the popularity started to going. It was always very popular, you know. That's the one thing I will say about MMA and MMA fans. You know, it was always. I always remember MMA fans and how knowledgeable they were and how excitable they were and how real they were. You know, coming from boxing, it was a whole different world. You know, fans could not interact with, you know, I did a show for Mike Tyson. Uh, I did did Tyson's last six fights. Mm -hmm. Maybe five, as a matter of fact. And if everybody in that group surrounding Tyson, if everybody didn't know me, I couldn't get near Mike Tyson. Oh, my God. Yeah, he was protected. But that wasn't just him. That was all boxing. All fighters was like that. You know, all major stars were like that. But then I, you transition to MMA. It was a totally different world. Any fan could walk up to Randy Couture and shake his hand or Tito Ortiz, or Chuck Liddell, or Anderson Silva, or, or Matt Hughes. George St. Pierre. George St. Anybody could walk up and touch them. I know that when we did the first show in, in Canada, I don't remember whether it was Montreal was the first show, uh, but we were at the hotel, and the fans always knew where we were. We were at the hotel, and it was mad because the lobby was so small, and the elevators were so small, and they had the, they had the lobby jam packed. And George St. Pierre came into the lobby of the hotel, and I had to get him to that through the 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 barrage of fans to the to the the lobby. But that was something we did. We allowed the fans, so. We weren't going to stop them from doing what we had always allowed them to do, but we always, that's one thing that Dana White did, which which gave it more than legs. It, it gave it legs with shoes on it because it, ex, it exploded. I mean, every fan knew every single fighter and everything about it. 
That's crazy. Um, one fighter that I want to ask you about, you know, the picture that I was you that I will you that I was using with um to say that you came on my show was at uh, John Bones Jones. Now you've seen the rise when he came up as a prospect. Then he started fighting legend after legend. What do you remember about when he became the youngest light heavy, the youngest champion in UFC history? UFC 128, March 19th, 2011. Well, so, you got them dates better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a John Jones fan. That's uh, like, I, I love Gus. I like, I love other guys too, like Gustafson, Vitor, the guys he fought. But John is the reason why I got into MMA. So I want, then that, that fight particular. Oh my God. It was like Tyson versus Trevor Beerbrick of MMA. Like, that's how I look at that fight. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just remember how, uh, first of all, how good he was, how 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 amazingly technically skilled he was at such a young age. And 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 it, to me, I mean, he didn't look he didn't have that massive body. You know, he wasn't very, very muscular. Uh, he was kind of soft spoken. But the technical skill level that he had was was amazing, you know. And 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 to see him, you know, they didn't duck anybody. I mean, he fought Gustafson, you know. He fought. Did he fight Rashad? Yeah, he did. Yeah, Gustafson, Rashad. He he fought everybody. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't pad his schedule at all. And everybody they put in front of him. They gave it to him, and he gave it back, you know. And, and, and I mean, he did it with, well, when I say ease, he, he never went in to knock a person out. It was always, to me, it was always like he was in, in there rehearsing certain moves, rehearsing certain techniques, certain style, you know, and he came up with that. That's that that sliding back elbow, you know, you know, that was something I think he created as he went along. And he did he did a lot of that. And I noticed that, you know, uh, and he was he was very, very good at that. And he was committed. He was committed to his to his craft. But I also looked a little further than that because a lot of what John, John Jones had, I say was natural talent. A lot of people would say it was natural talent, but it was also hereditary. And I say that because his entire family were athletes. His father, his two brothers, because both of them were good enough to make it to the NFL. <laughs> okay. Super Bowl at winners. The, at the same time. You know, so, so so the lineage there, you know, you looked at that and, and, and you, you say, my God, how? And then, But then you look and you see how athletic everybody else is. Then you say, oh, well, I can almost see that he would have been as good and as athletic as he was. But he was pretty he was he was pretty awesome. He was he was an awesome man. And, and, and he was a good kid. That's what I want to talk about, too, because a lot of people have this misconception that, you know, let's not talk about like what he did outside. I don't want to do that because I love John Jones and I'm looking at him at as, as an athlete. He's not perfect. No one's perfect. And I think he is a very complicated. He's a misunderstood individual, I find. And I think what he's doing now with like his community work is beautiful. The care project. So I want to give a shout out to that. And Way I mean, to go, baby. 
Later. Yeah. Uh, what was it? Know, I, I've always, I've always appreciated John Jones for the person that he is. Mm-hmm. But I also know because having been and worked in in this industry, in the sports industry, and with athletes and the level of athletes that I work with, they're always on stage. Mm-hmm. They're always on stage, whether they're in arena or outside of a, of the arena, and everything is magnified, you know, and and justifiably because they're stars. But but everything, every move they make, every word they say, everything that that goes on, some things can go on in a person's life that's just another Saturday night or just another Friday night. But when you get to that level, then things are magnified. You know, and and everybody in I I always said those guys, those fighters and the and the corners, they were all my kids. Because I was always older than all of them. And they were all my kids. And you know, I treated them as such. And I thought of their actions and their movements as such. You know, I didn't expect the only time I had the highest, highest, highest expectations from them was when they got in that cage. Because that was one and one, baby. And what ain't but two, him and you. Okay? So I, I I expected that. But outside, I had to understand, you know, and I and I learned to understand. You know, guys were sacrificing times with their family and being away from their family and being put on the stage and being put in the middle of the light and put in spotlights and, you know, things were thrown at them. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not an easy situation to adjust to. And I, and I know that it came down on me with Joe Frazier, Muhammad Ali. And those are pretty good names. Okay. That that stuff came down. You know, I, I remember I did and, and, you know, you would think I was, I was in it. I was, I was good. It didn't matter what happened. I was good. We did a video project called Champions Forever. And that was with Joe Frazier, George Foreman, Muhammad Ali, Ken Norton, and Larry Holmes. Mm-hmm. And it was called Champions Forever. And it was, it was a documentary, but it was a travel montage where we went around from from country to country because we traveled the world for three years promoting that video. But it was a montage of those the fights those five guys had together. And we did, we traveled and we did, we went around. Now, I, I'm, I'm with those five guys. Imagine that. And we did a press conference in L.A. And we were down, we walked out. They came out of their room separately, and we all met down in the back, in the bowel of the hotel to go outside to get into the cars. And when, again, I was the lead person, putting everybody in order, and when I walked out to the, out of the hotel into the throng of media people, I freaked. I think the first time in my life, I freaked. I, I, I didn't know... Where to go? I was nervous. My hands were sweaty. It was, and they were click, 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 click,
I didn't think that was possible because I thought I had it covered, baby. Man, I was nervous, hands sweaty, palming. I didn't know where to take Joe. I didn't know where to take Muhammad. I knew where to take him, but I lost it. Okay, and I, and you know what? It, I only lost it for a minute, but that's that's all it took. Thirty seconds, they were gone, all over the place, and I had to put them back together. So that happens to everybody. It can happen to anybody. So the expectations from from those guys, you know, because they're always in the spotlight and always being scrutinized. You know, I I, I learned to give on that end of it. Exactly. No, I really true. Like I remember when. Uh... John, like as I said, I don't want to look at bad. Like for example, like and like you know, this is like just how much of a fan I am. You know, like of a fanboy, it's gonna make you laugh. So Dominic Reyes, the guy he last fought, like made a very derogatory remark about when John got pulled over in April during the first wave of the pandemic. Right. I went at I went at Dominic Reyes like on it, and it was immature of me, but I like I felt like you know. Because I've battled mental, I've battled depression and mental illness and some and like some addiction. And John was very open with that, so I feel like that's my that's my guy, man. That's my that's my that's my brother. I got to defend him. So I went after, I went up and I went after Dominic Reyes, and I said, for somebody who thinks that they beat John Jones in a fight, and then you're going after him, taking a shot at him, shame on you. You are the definition of you are an embarrassment of a fighter, and you remind me of like the jock. That everybody hates. You remind me of Uncle Rico when Napoleon Dynamite back in '82 or back in February 2020. I fought John. Pissed, huh? Yeah, I, I got mad, man. I don't like. I, I like. Look, you have a when someone's at their lowest, you don't take shots at them, and you know, like, and that's when I, and that's, and it was a bit low of me too to do that to Reyes, you know, because like, but Reyes is he got his karma. He lost to Blahowicz, and uh, I just don't like. I, that's one fighter that I genuinely do not like. I do not like him. I do not like the way he carries himself. I do not like the way he fights. I think you know, um, and I think you know what? Like, look, I wish him the best, but I just don't like him. There's that's one fighter I do not particularly like, Bert. That's and like, I'm not afraid to say it. It's, okay. uh, but yeah, but um, obviously, you know. When I, when I look at it, you know, you said, you know, you've been around, you've seen the fights. They just gave him all these legends. I really think, like, if you're a mixed martial arts fan, no matter whether he won or lost, like, in this fight, Gustafson, I think Gustafson and John Jones helped raise the bar for MMA. That first fight they have, they both won that night. I don't care if, like, it's not about who won retained the belt. They both won for the sport that night. Now, was that, was that, was that in Sweden? Uh, Toronto. Toronto. Yeah, they, they... I mean that that fight was was unbelievable, and they both they I, you know Gustafson put on a better show than than a lot of people expected him to. Uh, you know, the, I don't know what the odds were, and I don't bet on fights, especially MMA fights, because I'm going to tell you something, baby. Aside. From the judges and the referee, you got three judges and you got a referee and you got 50,000 fans or whatever. You got, you also got 10 to 12 ways to win a fight. Okay. Inside, in, 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 in the sport of MMA, I can't name all the moves, but there's at least 12 different ways to win a fight. Okay. <laughs> Standing on the ground, anaconda. Neck choke, wrinkle bar, you know, there's so many ways 
to win a fight and to get heel hooked, tapped out, and done, that it's hard for me to pick a fight and pick a fighter because there's so many ways. And if a guy is in shape and his conditioning's good, then it's a toss-up. I don't care who's fighting who. If the conditioning's good and you get one little lapse where one guy decides for 10 seconds that he's tired, he can get caught. Okay, and that's how those knockouts happen, you know. Just a little, one little, one little move, and you're done. Gustafson, I just thought his his cardio was good. You know, his 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 tactics were good. And I say this all the time to nauseam sometimes. One thing that you always got to put into the equation, son. Sometimes when the lights go on, some people's lights go out. Now, your lights can get dim, but they're not supposed to go out. Some fighters turn them lights on and they stay on. Mm-hmm. Other fighters don't turn them on or don't know how to turn them on. And get into a cage or a ring with a fighter where his lights are on. And these lights. <laughs> okay. You know, the, those when those lights go on, sometimes some people's lights go out. The lights for John Jones were already on because he was John Jones. The lights for for Gustafson were not on. Does that make sense to you? In a sense, yeah. You know, it, 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 John Jones was John Jones, so those lights were bright. Those lights were on. Gustafson had to had to brighten his lights because he was fighting John Jones and he was in there. But you know what? To me, his lights came on. Click. You know, and and it was good. It was it was it was definitely a good fight, and uh, and I, I I see that all the time. I agree, and you know, as I I always just look at it that those two really helped elevate the sport from that fight. It's still one of the most watched fights today, whether you have Fight Pass or when UFC puts it on to watch as a free fight. Like that's one fight like you can like both after, and I really think what Gustafson has done for European MMA with Michael Bisping has been amazing, but Gustafson has done it so good. Like it's, it's like, I really think it, when, when his career is said and done, I do hope they put him in like a pioneer wing for like European MMA. And I'm, and I'm sure I'm, I'm sure. Uh, Cause one thing I, one thing I've learned and one thing I'm, I'm seeing, especially uh, with, with the UFC that I've noticed over the last, six years or so that they take care of their stars as they leave. Mm-hmm. They give them a starting goal. They give them a little bit of a platform. Now, whether they stay there or not, you know, cause everybody they've had has been, been a retired guy or a guy that's, that's, that's given a lot to the sports. I've seen them use a lot of guys, you know, Eve Edwards, Ken Florian, Bisbing, Tyron Woodley, you know, they use a lot of, and they give guys opportunities. And those opportunities are there for those guys. And it's also there, you know, they gave it to Dan Hardy. And Dan Hardy now, not only not only with the UFC, but MMA in his country, you know, he's, he's huge over there. And, and he's still legitimately, you know, uh, 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 a resource for them. And I like to, and I like to see that. And most guys, most of the guys, 
guys are doing that. If they're not a resource in that area, they're still in the gym. And, you know, and if you stay on social media, you see that these guys are all staying active and staying in the gym. You know, it's a, it's a good thing, man. It's a, it's a real good thing. I want to ask you, this is something because, you know, you understand combat sports inside out. And um, now we're seeing kind of like the African, like the African, like the continent of Africa is becoming a hotspot with guys like Usman, Naganu, Israel Adesanya. How do you feel? Like, let's say like if Francis wins the heavyweight championship, you have three champions in divisions from Africa. What does that do for that untapped continent and the talent there, you feel? Unbelievable. The, 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 the. Media exposure, the, the the platform that those guys have, and and kudos to the UFC and the other mediums to give those guys a platform and not shut them down. You know they've never stifled anybody as to what they say and how they say it, and and allow them to use that platform. And I think it's I think it's 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 unbelievable that those three guys from that from that country. Uh, have that platform, and, and it's necessary. And and it's always been the one thing about MMA is that it has always given a platform to different cultures and different countries. Uh, I think MMA probably has the most uh, multicultural title holders and champions in in any sport. I would think. Uh, you know, they gave they gave a gateway to a lot of the Brazilian fighters. They gave gateway to the Asian fighters, you know, coming from coming from Asia. Now the, the fighters coming from Africa, you know, from Sweden and, and English, you know, at, at a time, I, you know, Michael Bisbang and Paul, Paul uh, Bradley, was it? And and. Uh, who's the other guy with the tattoos on his arms? Ian Freeman. Ian Freeman, and 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 there was another one that was my buddy, and I can't remember his name, but they've always managed to give opportunities to different cultures and di- different countries, and I've always thought that that was fantastic. You know, even 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 who was the guy from Italy with all the tattoos? The Italian uh, Star. Yeah. You know, so so you know, it, it it it's always, I've I've always admired that and appreciated how they how they do that. But these these young three right now, and they got a stranglehold on it. <laughs> okay, they got a real a real stranglehold on it. I agree, and it's beautiful to see. So taking it away from MMA now, you know, you're a fighter yourself, and you're a champion at life. Because uh, you battled prostate cancer. Yes, so I want so I want to like say congratulations on, you know, being, you know, fighting it successfully and, you know, using your platform. And that's what I want to talk about because it is Cancer Awareness Month. So I want you to tell me what it, how did you find out you had it and what are the signs people can look for if they feel like there's something wrong that they need to get checked out? And thank you so much for, for bringing that up and especially doing Cancer Awareness Month. And, you know, it was just it was. You know, I told you I had a lot of those at two moments, you know, and, and what if moments. And I was home when I when I had time because I worked with athletes. I always made sure that you take care of your body and your mind and it'll take care of you. I always made sure I did that and always made sure I got checked. 
and I had some time at home and I went to the doctor to get my regular checkup and I was good. I went back six months later for a checkup and I wasn't, wasn't feeling bad, but I wanted a thorough checkup. That's with the CT scan and all those. And because I knew my doctor and the way I traveled, he did that and he gave me the checkup and I came back three weeks later and he said to me, said, you got three choices, radiation, chemo, or surgery. And I said, for what? And he told me I had prostate cancer. And no pain, no symptoms, just that checkup. I went to get a checkup and found out that I had it. And it's important for, for guys, for young men, you know, even though from the ages of, of 45, to 55, you know, especially African-American men, you know, you need to get checked, you need to get tested, you need to stay aware. Awareness is, is the key. When you're aware, you know, you get tested and you pass it on to everyone. You know, it, 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 when you get to be 40, 40 years old or so, go to the doctor and get checked, get tested. And, you know, I went through it. It wasn't painful. Uh, I went through radiation and I went through 55 treatments of radiation. Mm. And you do it five days a week, every day, 10 minute radiation treatment. And it was good. And I am, I am now a year and a half cancer free. Uh, but, you know, I, I've taken the platform. I work with zero the End of Prostate Cancer, which is an organization that I work with uh, to bring awareness. I spoke at uh, a couple of their last virtual run walks just to kind of get the word out and to let them know, give them a, uh, my story. And, you know, I'm, I'm a proponent of it, man. you got to get tested. I agree 1,000%. And, you know, that doesn't go for prostate. That goes for any form of cancer because whether it's brain, prostate, I mean, you know, you're doing such a good job. So I really want to commend you for that, Bert, like to use like not only like you're doing this like to help to help change lives. And that's more important because when it's all said and done, regardless of the fighting, you know, of all like the things you've seen. But this platform for cancer awareness as a father yourself – how do you want to, what do you want your legacy to be with the, with what you're doing now for cancer awareness? I just, I just want people to hear me and not just listen to hear what I say and know that I'm, I'm expressing something that I didn't read in a book. And initially when I first started, when I first found out, you know, I didn't know how to accept it, but I know I had to accept it. And I didn't know what to do, but I learned immediately that one in, one, one in every six, especially in African-American men, are detected with, with prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. Then I found out not only was it that, the number that high, but also that it's hereditary. So I immediately had to tell my son, and my son, was, my son is 40, 40 years old. So I went right to him to have him tested. So awareness, you know, conscientious, spreading the word and making sure that you get tested and, and, and telling, 
passing the word to everyone and us working in the sport that we're working in a sport with all men, you know, it's any type of cancer. Because once you go to get tested, you know, get tested for all of it. You know, just go, go to the doctor. It's like, especially with athletes, they have to go and get tested for certain things in order to perform anyway. You know, you got to go to get blood work. You got to go, go get your eye tested. You got to go, go get tested, baby. That's awesome. I really agree with that 1,000%. Do not take the chance. Like anyone that listens to this episode, if you have a loved one that's not feeling right, you know, they say, oh, I have some kind of weird pain, get tested. Just go. Thank yourself later because health is wealth. It's better to have a clean bill of health than to go through what you went through or, you know, like what my dad went through when he battled brain and liver cancer. Like it's... It's the worst thing ever. Like, I would never, ever, ever wish this on anyone, even if they did me the, the most wrong in life. Right. It's, you right. know, and that's what I hope what happens because when we, when people watch or listen to this episode, I hope someone can come back to you more and say, yeah. hey, Bert Watson, I wanted you to tell you, I want to tell you, thank you for talking about this because we just found out, we just found out, we just found out my, uh, my aunt or uncle has this form of cancer and it was because of you coming on this show. So thank you, thank you, what can we do? And then that creates awareness because you're doing a good thing. So if I can do that and we can kind of like, you know, and we can do that, yo, my job's done, man. That means more to me than anything. And more than, more than any, you know, you know, I'll just say that the, 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 the most people that it affects are the people that you love. Mm-hmm. And keep that on your mind and keep that on your heart. Those are the people that become, and become affected by the fact that you might not have gone to get tested and you found out a little too late. So think about that and go get tested, baby. Exactly. Taking us, changing it to a positive note, you know, since leaving the UFC in 2015, um, you've been keeping busy. You know, I see you got your you're an entrepreneur at heart with your Burt Watson promotions. So what what have you been what how have you parlayed that skill set into other ventures? What have you been doing lately? Well, you know, it, it was it was pretty uh, my entire life. I've, I've always coordinated, consulted and coordinated shows for for promoters at 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 at, at a regional level, at a mid level and at a very high level in boxing, MMA. And not only that, but I, I've, I've, I've done two billboard awards, which a lot of people don't know. I did the Latin billboards in 2008, coordinated the event, did that by myself. So I've always done that. And when I left the UFC and I got out on my own, you know, I, I, I was not going to get out of the sport. I said, I'm going to stay in the sport. So I decided I was going to stay in the sport. But I said, you know what? I've done this for the last 40 years between boxing and MMA, and I've done it for everybody else but me. So if I'm going to continue to do it, I'm going to use my name. And that's, <laughs> you know, that's how that came about. I just continued what I was doing. So I, I had my, I started to coordinate to do shows. I did my very first show June 19 June 12th in 2019 in Fort Lauderdale. I did it at the at the Hard Rock Hotel in Fort Lauderdale, which was an awesome show. It was my very first show, uh, and I think I was like about 300 people in from selling out. That's how that's, I I had like 2,700 people. The arena 
they had to call down on like 3,000 people. I had like 2,700 people in there. It was awesome, man. It was my very first show. From that very first show, I got four dates to follow up. Now, listen to the dates that I got. Now, this was June 12, 2019. I got March of 2020. I got June of 2020, September of 2020, and February of 2021. COVID-19 took all of them away. Ah, <laughs> God. That's the, damn COVID. I hope this Oh, four of them. You know, I, I was supposed to do something March 13th. COVID hit March 11th. Mm -hmm. So that didn't happen. Then June 12th didn't happen. September of last year didn't happen, September 25th. And then I was supposed to possibly do February the 13th, which was last weekend, but it didn't. So that didn't happen. So, you know, I was like everyone else. I home and uh, just to make a quick story out of it. So I'm wondering, what, what am I, you know, what do I do now? So I decided, I saw people on IG, Instagram, and I'm, I said, you know what, I'm going to try that. So I pick up the phone and I got on Instagram live and I'm, you know, trying to keep myself busy and stay relevant. And my grandkids follow everything that I do. And I got five of them and they follow everything, man. I mean, and, and I'm very proud of that because I guess they're proud of their papa, but they follow. So I'm on Instagram live and one of my granddaughters say, papa, why are you on Instagram Live by yourself? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, what am I supposed to be? They said, why don't you get somebody to talk with you? So I got on the phone. I called Vitor Belfort. And I said, listen, man, I'm going to get on Instagram Live. And, uh, you know, next Tuesday, you know, would you mind doing it with me? He said, man, I'd be honored to do that. Are you kidding me to be legend to legend? Click. <laughs> it clicked. The light bulb just goes bing. Bing. He said, legend to legend. And I said, ooh. So I brought him on and I introduced it as legend to legend. And, and I was on Instagram Live and then I said, you know what? I need help with this. So I went to MMA Junkie and I asked them, how would I do this? And because I wanted a platform, you know, I wanted to write. And they said, uh, let's see how it works on here. So now I have I have a slot on MMA Junkie that I do Legends to Legends. I, so far, I've done Chael Sonnen. I've done Randy Couture. I did uh, my recent one that's out now, Legend to Legend on MMA Junkie. Go check it out, baby. Uh, and it's with Rampage, and it is awesome, man. And it, it's it's not an interview. It's what I call OG chatter because I sit and I talk to them from here and here, baby. And we talk about things that, you know, we talk about career, life, family, and things that you might not even know about. But we talk about things that we know because we work together. And it's a lot, it's a lot of fun. And I hear things from them that I didn't. And right now, the, the one that's up now is me and Rampage, but it's legend to legends. Rolling with Burt Watson, baby.
That's amazing. You really are like, and I and I I love what you said. Like, it's about to have OG chatter. That's like what we're doing right now, you yes, and I. Sir. Yes. Sir. And that's what I did with Nima because when I had Nima on, Nima was the first manager I had, and when and he asked me, he's like, "What are we gonna do?" And I said, "We're gonna have a conversation. It's gonna be like you know, just like we're old buddies talking." And that's what. And I'm so thankful that he gave me my first shot because you're gonna get so many no's in this game. And you know, Nima gave me my shot, and that's why I'm appreciative, and that's why I'm very loyal to to him in terms of mentioning moments management because he's a reputable manager, but he cares about the people he talks to, and that's and what I love. He's a great guy. He's a yes. great guy, and and there are guys and there are names, and and I've been around a minute. There are names you could mention that you could you know you could say ah. Uh, uh, okay, why not? You know, and and I've always wanted to be that guy that when the name was mentioned, you didn't do this, you know. And Nima's one of those guys. He's always upfront. He's always very truthful with you. And not only that, but he knows what he's talking about. You know, most managers, you know, even if they don't know, they learn because they, you know, they have they have. They're in charge of career of others, but uh, he's a he's a he's a genuine good guy, and this is a genuinely good sport, man. And what you're doing now is great, and I'm having a lot of fun with Legend to Legend. Uh, it's new for me, but you know it's not strange because it's everything that I know, and it's 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 I get to talk about and talk to people and talk about things, and I've got plans in my head where I'm going with it because I've seen the development of the sport and guys who are legends and ladies who are legends. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just so honored to have been around to see the development of, of females in the industry. I'm real proud of that, man. And, you know, Kat Singano and Ronda Rousey and, and Misha Tate and, Liz Carmouche, and I don't want to say no more because if I miss somebody's name, they're going to be mad at me. But but the development of that, you know, there's a lot out there for us, baby, to grab onto and to have a good conversation about. Exactly. Lot. Exactly. Yeah, like I really feel like, you know, you and me just became good friends, obviously, because Nima too, because after that, like Nima, as mentioned, he's such a good guy. Like after we were speaking off the record, more on that to come, like when the time's right, as you know, I was telling you. And, uh, and, and that's why like, I want to really rep help be like help him build moments management because what I took from him in our conversation when I said, how do you help a fighter invest their money safely and, you know, live below their means? After our conversation, I was looking at how I spent money and how I saved and I was applying what he taught me. And so I want to give a huge shout out. Thank you, Nima Safapur, for telling an amateur podcaster, Drew Michaels of the Drew Experience, how to build a podcast while not living above his means. So thank you. I'm humbled. And that's why, you know, you got to be appreciative. It's as Charlie Murphy said. And that's why I love this show too, what I do this. I love this. You know, it doesn't, I don't care about the views, the clicks, the likes, or like getting sponsored or getting attention. I love what Charlie Murphy said. I keep this quote on my phone. Don't take life for granted and don't take people for granted. Not at all. Not at all. And I totally, totally agree with you. As I said to you, that nothing anybody ever says to me is irrelevant. Because if they said it, they want you to hear it. Not listen to it. They want you to hear it and digest it. So I, I, and I, you remember I said earlier about that one and one? One and one, one chance and one chance one, to one fuck chance. it up. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that one and one, baby. That's, that is, that is it in life, man. But, but you know, it's, it's, 
there there are so many opportunities now and 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 so many opportunities for these young men and 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 I sit back and I watch I I don't I keep up with MMA because of legends to legends and 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 interviews such as what I'm doing with you guys now I keep up so that I know but I also keep up because Guys that I, there are guys that I started with are still fighting. There are guys that I brought into that that I actually started with, who were rookies, and you know that are still fighting and and and, and still valid in the sport. You know, I think Diego Sanchez is getting ready to get a fight. Clay Clay Guida just won a fight. You know, Michael Johnson is still fighting, and 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 you know it's it's. I even I think I had Diego Lima as a as a as a rookie, but I had all of them as rookies. Okay, I think the only one that I didn't get as a rookie, I think was two that I didn't get as rookies was Mark Coleman and Randy Couture. Okay, you know everybody Phil Baroni, you know got him as 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 a rookie. You know it's it's and. I'm gonna go a little to the other side, and because I also worked with Cutmen, you know, and when I coordinated events, I made sure that we had Cutmen, and I got the Cutmen, and I got Stitch was the first guy, and Stitch was not a rookie. Stitch is, man, you talk about a knowledgeable person and a knowledgeable Cutman, but got him and Don House, and 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 brought, I brought in the first female Cut woman. Uh, Swayze Valentine, who is still very active, and she was the first. She was the first that that, that did it and brought it in. And you know, there was there was a little controversy that women were not going to be in, in in this sport. But I'm gonna tell you, man, they kicked they kicked the door down. <laughs> okay, they kicked the door down and they killed it from in the case to cut women to doctors to judges, you know, I haven't seen a female referee yet, but I, yes, I have, I forgot her name, but a uh, tall young lady with the long ponytail, she was a ref, right? You yeah, I think know so. what I'm talking about? So. Maybe did Invicta, maybe, from what I understand, because, you know, Shannon Knapp has done such a good job of helping elevate women's martial yes. arts, ex-mix yes. martial arts. Yes, and Shannon was, I remember, if I remember, when Zufa bought, they bought WC and Strike Forces. Shannon was with one of the one of the one of those organizations when we initially when we initially started. But Zufa bought, I mean, they were buying people to shut them down the road because when they bought Pride, they first bought Pride, and I thought that, and and I'm thinking, oh man, we're gonna get to go to Japan and we're gonna do fights in Japan, and you know. They bought pride in the contracts, you know. They bought Rampage's contract with one of them that was there, you know. And, you know, there was a couple of other guys that were over there that they brought over that they bought the contracts with. But they brought pride and shut it down. <laughs> didn't, didn't do much with it. But uh, we, got to go, we got to go to Japan and China anyway, you know, which was awesome. 
That's crazy. What's um what's a typical day in the life of like for you outside of uh, combat sports? Like what's the other than because I know you're still involved and that's what you do. But what what else? What do you what's a tip? What's a typical day like for Burt Watson outside believe, of fighting? Believe it or not, I'm 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 a homebody. I I don't like going out. So this whole thing that we're going through now bothers me not even a little bit. You know, I'm I, I I'm very content with staying home. I love black and white TV. I watch Gunsmoke, Paladin, Wagon Train, Half Gun Will Travel. I watch all the black and white television that I can. You know, between that and and and, and sports, I, I stay on the sports and and then I stay on the phone, communicating, trying to stay in and communicating with people because now we got to stay on the phone, but. A normal day for me, especially when I was on the road, when I'm off the road, I shut down, totally shut down because I, I'm, I'm at, I go at such a high level, but television, home, my wife and my, my grandkids, you know, family, my family's, you know, I got five grandchildren. I got that. I'm very proud of my, my, my oldest grandson graduated from Yale. Uh, I got, one that's headed to William and Mary, uh, and, and and another one that's looking at Yale. So, you know, my youngest grandchild is twelve, and they're all athletes. All wow. I, I'm not, I don't know where that came from, <laughs> but 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 my kids my kids are all all athletes. Uh, my son, who is a, a big guy, my son's about six three, weighs about three hundred, close to that. And he's a a wrestling coach at at uh, Ridgewood High in New Jersey, and he's a football coach. So, and my daughter ran track. She went to school in Virginia. She went, so they. I have I have an athletic family, and they're all educators, and they're all involved. So, for me to sit back and watch all that, and watch my black and white TV, you know, and trying to keep up with you guys, you know, it's it's. It's fun for me right now. I'm ready to get back on the road, though. Trust me. Yes, I imagine. Yeah, but I just want to say, like, you really are, like, the definition of of the American success story. You've worked <coughs> tirelessly over and over, and you are a definition of that. The dream is available if you put your mind to it. So if anyone that's, like, a, a new immigrant to America or they feel like they're from a marginal— I got to be careful with my wording here because, you know, everyone gets offended easily. But, like, if you're from, like, say, like, you know, a not so great scenario. They could, they should look to you because look what you've accomplished and with your family, it's there. You just have to put your mind to it. Surround yourself with good people that want to see you grow. If you want to be, my dad said it best, and you know, my dad, my late father said it best. If you want to, if you want to pluck crumbs with the pigeons to wonder what was, do that. But if you want to soar with the eagles, find the eagles and learn from them, and then you'll see. And you, then you'll see. I, I I can I can honestly tell you that that that. If some, someone, it's very hard to not be successful because of opportunities, because there are, there are so many opportunities and so many ways to reinvent yourself, especially today. You know, I mean, I look at, I look at social media and how people have become mega stars on social media, <laughs> you know, and, you know, that, that was an opportunity that they took advantage of and they made the best of it. Uh, but anything you do, you got to be consistent. 
you got to be committed and you got to give it time and you got to know that it doesn't always happen overnight. You know, you hear that all the time. Oh, it happened overnight. It, it very seldom happens overnight. It happens one night. Okay. You build up to it and then it happens, but it doesn't happen overnight. And you know, I used to tell fighters and I still tell them, you know, it was the biggest dream to get to the UFC was their biggest dream. And they got there. And I would look at them. I'd tell them, I said, you know what? It is harder to stay here than it is to get here. Don't you ever forget that. And that's the way life is. You know, once you get it, you got to keep it. Whatever you get, you know. So telling them it was harder to stay there than to get there, it shocked some of them because they didn't know that. But one of the two fights they found out, now I got to stay here, <laughs> okay? You know, that was the easiest thing, getting there. And that's the way life is. Once you get it, then you have to keep it. You got to cultivate it. You got to work it. You got to work at it. You got to keep it going because you got that one in one and then you're done. <laughs> exactly. I hope we can do an Instagram live though sometime soon. Now, like, you know, I want, I love to do that. If ever you're down, you know, to talk about like, you know, let like OG chatter with life and all that. Cause I mean, who knows, Bert? You never know who we're impacting. And, uh, I, I, I would love to do that. I'd love to give you the platform any time of the day you come want to come on. I'm good, baby. Whatever, whatever, you know, uh, I think you're a good guy and I, I enjoy talking and running my mouth and I got, I always got a lot to say. I don't know why, <laughs> but you know, I, I enjoy it and I, I enjoy keeping the line open and I enjoy social media. I enjoy communicating on social media. Uh, uh, it, it, it's that age is, is kind of cruel because you can you can you can get it thrown back at you but you know what if you don't want to if if you don't want to swim don't jump in the water okay <laughs> stay out of it if you can't cook stay out of the kitchen you know but I love social media and and I get in it I'm, I'm on Instagram Twitter Facebook everything I'm under Burt Watson just put in Burt Watson and you'll see my face or a t-shirt somewhere will pop up. But I love communicating. And when you communicate with me, I'll communicate back with you. It's, it's, that's the way it is. Exactly. Um, now, let's take it from a, let's bring it back to kind of combat sports. As a fan, now, you know, let's look at it as fans here. What are, what is one MMA fight you are excited to see in 2021? And maybe one boxing fight. Well, I'm, I'm boxing. I'm 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 still a Canelo and a Triple G fan, and 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 I'm I'm also a Danny Garcia. I want to see him and maybe Lomachenko. You know, you know, it might be a little different in weight, but Danny Garcia, and he's also a Philly guy. You know, I want to I want to see Danny get to the top of that mountain and stick up there for a while. I'd like to see that. And then, you know, Canelo, Triple G, I'd like to see. I enjoy watching Khabib fight. I enjoy watching Dustin Poirier. I, I, I enjoy seeing him fight. Kamara Usman, I just really kind of saw 
his boxing skills, you know, uh, which I didn't really know was there. I knew he could fight, but I, I never really sat down. This was the first time I really, really sat down and watched because I, I don't I don't pay for a lot of pay-per-views. Not that I pirate that stuff, Dana White. So you hear this, don't come at me, Jack. You know, but I, you know, I watch a lot. But I'd like, I'd like to see the way they're the way they're lining things up now. You know, everybody that I want to see fight is fighting each other. You know, the fans and and people like yourself. I mean, we've gotten. I'm going to flip that around because I think I've seen everything I want to see in terms of people fighting each other. You know, I've seen Khabib fight who I thought he wouldn't, he needed to fight. He fought. I've seen Dustin fight who he needed to fight. I've seen Connor fight who he needed to fight. Usman. I've seen, he's fought mostly everybody, you know, within his weight and his category. Uh, Adesanya, you know, I think he needs a couple more. You know, he was challenged. Did he cha- did he challenge John Jones or was he, he keeps he keeps challenge? He keeps calling out John, and this is where like I gotta tell all the Adesanya fans: careful what you wish for. And Izzy too needs to kind of tone it down because he did make a derogatory remark about John's late mother, who's done a lot of work for the community. <laughs> And yeah. that was where it's like I kind of like distanced myself from being a fan. I respect Izzy as a, as a, as a practitioner, but when he ran his mouth like that, like bro, it's like it's like you don't talk about people's late parents. Like I understand it's show, but no, there's there's a limit, Bert. There's, I loved there's his a... I, I loved his mom. I loved yeah. I loved his mom. I loved his family, man. His family they were always very nice and respectful to me, uh, and I always got along with them and and the brothers and everybody, you know. I I think, and and I've been around trash talking for a long time, okay, from the best, the greatest, the worst, the dirtiest. I've been around it, uh, and and I'm you know, if it works, it works. I don't agree with talking about somebody's family. Me either. When you start when you start going. In and talking about somebody's family or their wife or or you start <laughs> putting that into the equation, you know, then I get a little little upset with it. And then I then I don't agree with it. Yeah. But the trash talking, you know, I'm I'm good with that. I'm good with that. That that's you know, you, you say it, then you gotta do it. So I'm like- good with like I don't mind if she says, "Hey John, I have your belt. You think you're the king? I have to, I have the middleweight and the light heavyweight. Come down to light heavyweight if you want to claim your throne back." Like that's something I love because that creates a storyline. But right. now John's gonna John. Here's what I. This is just my hypothesis. I can't predict, but in my in a perfect world, go ahead John, and predict, baby. Okay. <laughs> I see Francis Ngannou beating Stipe. I have a feeling this time Francis is focused. He's got a better training now. John Jones comes in summer, fights for the for the heavyweight strap, claims it off Francis, but it's going to be a very tough fight. And then I think John's going to come down to light heavyweight and he's going to maul Izzy. And I say that because John, when you wake up that lion and John, the king of the jungle of light heavyweight and heavyweight. Yes. Dangerous, John. When a fired up John is the most dangerous John. Like what we saw with DC, the for the two DC fights. Well, 
I, I agree with most of it. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to start at the top of it, where you started. I I think Stipe is underestimated. Mm-hmm. Okay? Like I said, there, there's, there, are, there are quite a few ways to win a fight. Mm-hmm. Even, at a heavy, even at heavyweight, there are few ways to win a fight. And it all starts with conditioning. Okay, and 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 I'll put I'll put conditioning ahead of technical skill levels any day, mm-hmm. you know. And, and it starts there. And Stipe's conditioning was never in question. And I I I I think his punching power is there. So I'm 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 not going to give that one away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to leave that one. But everything else under that, I could see that. And John Jones going up to heavyweight. Hey, I did a fight where they said Roy Jones didn't stand a chance going to heavyweight. And he went up to heavyweight and won the, won the heavyweight title. And he came, he, he was at 160, 170, 180, and went up to heavyweight and won the title. So I don't, I don't discount technical skill levels at all. You know, and and boxing, that's a whole different... You don't have as many ways in boxing to win a fight as you do in MMA. So, John Jones going up to heavyweight and with the skill set that he has, I think he'll be successful there. I think he, I, I, I think he will be tough to beat. Now, getting hit by a natural heavyweight... It's another thing. You got to be prepared for that. You got to you got to know how to either take that or not get hit. Uh, but I think I think he'll I think he'll do good. I think he'll do well. I don't think that John Jones has a lot to prove at two hundred five anymore. No, I think he's I think he's he's made his mark. He's 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 set his mark in. Uh, I think now he's he's at a point where he should be able to to choose where he wants to go. I love that. I love that. That's 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 what I think is beautiful. Um, and we're gonna have to. And that's where I think we should conclude it because that's gonna leave everyone think, oh well, what does they what do they mean by that? So where can uh, people connect with you, Bert? I know you said it, but give all your platforms, and you're gonna have to message me the, some of them because I want to make sure I put them in the episode info because we're gonna make sure that this episode not only not about martial arts but about cancer awareness blows 100%, up. Hundred percent. Listen, man, I'm all I'm all over so, social media, and it's very easy. Any social media you go on, you go under Burt Watson, Burt Watson for real, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, I'm there, baby. And you, you reach out to me, I'll reach back out to you. And don't forget Legends to Legends on MMA Junkie. It's up now live. Just go up there and scroll down and find Legends to Legends. Rampage, Quentin Rampage Jackson, man. It is off the hook. Check it out, baby. I watched it. I'm sharing it too, guys. It's a really good episode. If you really want to see Quentin Rampage, Jackson, unfiltered. Oh. That fuck it out, baby. You, I don't you know where it. that came from. 
That he, you see, so uh, guys, everyone, I just want to thank. Uh, I want to say first of all, Bert, once again, thank you so much for coming on. I really feel, you know, I want to thank also Nima for everything he does too with uh, to connect us. And uh, you're like a buddy, man. You know, we're gonna be messaging each other now all the time. Hey, man, I'm gonna tell you something. I enjoy, it. I enjoy every bit of it. Just make sure I get a copy of it. And for all your fans, baby, when you come on this man on this time with Drew, I call him Drew. You know what time it is, man. You know it's time to go to work, and you know what that means. You rolling! Yeah! All night long. You got it. And the show will be on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and if you want to connect with me, Drew Nomad 7 and The Drew Experience on Instagram, everybody. Peace. I appreciate you, baby. Hook me up. I will.